Liesel, today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. I love Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. How can you not? They're pretty legit. It's a great business and it's even greater people. So local people running that business, doing great things. And, and it's the home for enlightened style shades. Enlightened style shades. I just like saying that. And it does sound, it sounds, sounds kind of big time. It does. Sounds very big time. And look, they've got, they don't just do shades. Like almost all of your interior decorating needs, they're there. They can help you get them. I even have pillows. I have pillows on my couch from Budget Blinds. Hmm, I didn't know you had pillows. Yeah, That's throw pillows. Amazing. I know. And who doesn't love throw pillows? Everybody loves really. throw pillows. And supporting a local business that gives back to the community is always a win. Always a win. So when you're ready to make your home the best home it can be, go visit our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Tell them Liesl and Nick sent you. Today's episode is also brought to you by Prodeo Youth Center. Prodeo Youth Center has their annual Twisted Trivia fundraiser event coming up. This is Lee Summit's only youth center. So this is a great, a great service provided to our community. This will be the ninth annual Twisted Trivia event. So you need to make your plans to get there. You like trivia, Nick? I love trivia. We'll be there. We're going to be on the same team. We are. We're going to have a link to Lee Summit, Lee Summit Town Hall podcast team again this year. This is this will be the third year that we have participated in the great event. It's Friday, March 10th. It'll be at Lakeland Community Church. That's off Colburn Road across from that awesome remodeled library. We'll see you there. That's right. It's trivia combined with other games of chance. And you can visit ProDaleYouthCenter.org slash events for more details. Hello and welcome back to the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I'm your host, Nick Parker, and I guess you can come back again. My co-host, Liesl Hayes. I keep coming back every week. Oh, you're like, <laughs> it's like that horror movie. It's like punishment every week. <laughs> are you my friend or are you the scary, scary thing? I think both. <laughs> both. Depends on what day. But today, we are very excited about our guest, so we have the opportunity. Liesl's first guest. My first guest. Oh. I'm actually introducing her. Nick threw that on me last minute, but we're good. We're good. You got we it. get to have a conversation <laughs> with Meredith Rose, and she is the CEO of Cornerstones of Care, and she is also very involved in Jackson County and in the community. She is on the Truman Heartland Community Foundation Board, and she's just kind of everywhere, mm -hmm. Meredith, and we're just looking forward to getting to know you and having you on the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's super exciting to be here, and um, I love a good podcast because it's, it's like- Oh, having... you're not going to like ours. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should have given me a fair warning. No, I like, you know what, people- um, kind of coming up as a young adult and really as a professional and finding my way in, in Jackson County. And I've been in a lot of spaces and places and people will hear me consistently talk about this courageous conversation thing. Um, and I think because she, you know, there's a familiar saying, I think it comes from my Angelo, you know, you, you do better when you know better and you can't fault yourself for not stretching, reaching and having courageous conversations if you don't know they're pivotal, important and necessary. And I think enough has happened in the world and in my life um, that I feel like I have a lot to share. So I, I hope 
I come in humility and just organic authenticity. Like this is who You're I am. Place, Liesl. I know. I I told you that I was gonna like her. <laughs> I hope so. Like, there's usually nothing off the record that doesn't need to be talked about. And if it, you know, if it's uncomfortable, I say lean into that. But I think you can always have diplomacy I'm and. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's important. It is important. That is awesome because that really is. Uh, that is how and why we started this show yeah. in 2017 was we wanted to have a few uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. There were things happening in the community and we wanted to help the right conversations happen instead yeah. of, I mean, you know, the things that get thrown out on social media. Right. Yeah. Um, and to be able to do that in a safety, either among friends, even if you don't align on the same beliefs and perspectives that in, in even an environment like this, like let's talk about it. Let's piece by piece unpack the story and the narrative and then we can go from there. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. A, a safe place to get the real yeah. the real stuff out yeah. there and, yeah. and not what are people talking about? What should we be talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's right? good. I, I think like is, that. is, is a I great like that. question. Well, yeah. we need to find out. Who you are, really. oh and, and I'm going to say, like, I, I want Lisa to go into this because <clears throat> because the, when she came to me at, at, with this idea, it was really it was about her daughter. Mm. Yeah, it was. You know, my, our daughter. Well, not you and I. Daughter. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> me and my husband. Tell me daughter, the story, Lisa. Maddie. <laughs> this podcast got weird. Yeah, it just got weird fast. Awkward. Okay. <laughs> So she actually has had the opportunity to participate in this amazing program called Youth Court that happens in Jackson County, and you happen to be an integral player in that process. And I'd love to hear more about how you got involved in Youth Court and just a little bit more about it in general. Yeah, so I've been involved with um, Independence Jackson County Youth Court probably since... Oh, I want to say 2015, right about the time I was introduced to the Independent School District. I came as a an administrator, so I was the director of family and neighborhood services. And so not only did I supervise about 30 school-based social workers, we called them FSLs, family school liaisons, but part of my job was helping support stabilization of house and home, especially for kiddos who um, were deemed either higher risk or perhaps their home life and unit was not um, typical or standard to what you would see a child who has two parents in the household, great behaviors, great academic performance. And so my predecessor, when he transitioned out, he had held the, the seat on the board and was involved. And my staff, their job as social workers, um, as kiddos are being referred to youth court for a variety of reasons. It could be that they've got poor attendance. Something's happening at home. They're not making it to school. Their grades are slipping. Um, or at the most extreme of the continuum, they've got some behaviors that, um, if gone unchecked, they could create really this pipeline to behaviors that could become correctional-type issues, like things that could get you in trouble and get you a record. And it's prevention at its finest. Youth Court is designed to be that loving, strength-based interception for those youth so that there isn't this, what you've probably heard, this kind of school-to-prison pipeline. And that's so important for our kiddos who are considered vulnerable because a lot of times they don't have that intersection. If you get tagged as a child with poor behavior, with a disruptive home life, with a lot of trauma, and it spills into the classroom... You know, our teachers are doing their best to teach and facilitate education for a large group of, of kids. So 
School districts without those supports, those kiddos usually, they just get fast-tracked to disciplinary action, and that becomes their reality. That becomes their story. So Youth Court was um, phenomenal in that it is run by the youth. It's facilitated by youth like your daughter, and it's designed for youth to um, serve, see, and uplift their own, their peers, which is so important because if you think about the next generation to come in kind of this idea of juvenile justice, restorative justice, it's our children. And um, so it's, it's a great program. Kiddos get referred. They don't get a sentence. They get an opportunity to go to court to have an engagement with their peers. They unpack why they did something, what's happening in their life. Parents have to participate. So if there's something that the parent needs, they get supports. They get referred to mental health. They get referred to Community Services League if food at home is an issue. So it's this whole community it takes a village approach that's led by the youth. Like that part is what gives me chills because our children, they just see things different. They, they're curious, they have courageous questions, and they want to know how can I support a different outcome? How can I help better your life? It's just that innocence, I think. Well, and there are so few opportunities that we as society, culture, whatever, where we give youth a voice, yeah. where we say here's a place. Yeah. That you can put your voice forward mm-hmm. and that you can advocate for yourself, for your That's peers. What, right? I mean, yeah, it's true. So creating those opportunities is, is just is just so important. And it's a stair step for a lot of those kiddos. So I was fortunate to give the um, the featured remarks at the last graduation. And I think that room was filled with like at least 200 kiddos and all of these students they kind of go through the bar they become little attorneys or judges and so while they're not handing down justice they are through a different lens working to support their peers find a different outcome to improve from the thing that brought them to youth court and many of them go on to want to pursue careers Um, some of them do internships they work in law offices they I'm sorry for them (laughs) (laughs) like the world doesn't change you know unfortunately I think what they're going to face in the future you're right it's not a good thing but at least they've had this experience um they come out I think and I'm going to just say this courageously a little less jaded like they're a blank slate who's been able to see a strength based brace well and if we change the perception of the justice system yeah right I mean yeah which is us olds yeah we have legacies, seniors, seasons. So much yes. nicer. Uh, but you know, we we don't, and neither did our parents and yeah. our parents before them. We don't have a great perception of the justice system. Yeah, and if maybe that can change. You know, that's a hard discussion because I think about how I was raised, and and it could be this discussion of which way was right or better. There was a fair amount of justice, you know, done in my home and in my village that kept me on the straight and narrow. But if you think about how. Children has, have evolved, the world around us, the social issues they're facing, even the pressures and temptation. I didn't face nearly probably an eighth of what my children face today. So I can't say that the approach um, and this this very just hard justice-minded kind of you know judicial layer or process for youth is helpful. I think you have to make space for trauma. I think you have to make space for restoration. Um, and they need permission and grace to get it wrong because they're just they're up against so much more than you and I were several well, years how ago. How often do we talk about restoration Oof. or yeah, you know, uh, recovery? Right. Can right. we put I that mean, back in place of, of cancel culture? Well, right. Yeah. Or, or I mean, so much of justice system is punishment. Yeah. Or at right. least that's our perception of it. Yeah. Is, is is you do bad, you will suffer. Yeah. Right. In yeah. whatever form 
comes out yeah. and, and what you're saying what teaching these kids is is well we're gonna find a way to help you fix it that's right yeah. and give them an option an like arena. you can make up for the wrong that's right right but you don't have to suffer because yeah. of your life's not over that's right. just Absolutely. It, it's so important for kids to know that even if they make a misstep and there is an error like we teach consequence we teach that I can forgive you I can have grace for you I can support you in transforming your life but there may you know, be a legitimate consequence, unfortunately, for a bad brain moment, as I call it, you know, operating from the emotional part of your brain. Um, but the, the bottom line is no child today should think because I had a misstep, because I did X, Y, Z, that's it. This is my, you know, narrative. This is my direction. This is my forecast for my forever future. The world doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be that way. Yeah, and well, so and, often we are. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is that I think... What Youth Court has really done for Maddie, too, is just given her the ability to have empathy on a different level. Like, she understands, you know, we all have different experiences in life. We all have different ways that we grew up. And ultimately, she encounters youth who didn't necessarily grow up like she did, but she can step inside their shoes and really understand this this place that they're coming from. And like you said, extend grace and extend forgiveness. And I think... You're so right, Nick. Like, we're you all are starting to remold the justice system because yeah. you're teaching those kids at at a young age that you know we all do make mistakes, and this isn't your path forever. This yeah. is just one chapter in your story. And how do we help you move forward um, more productively? Yeah. So I think it's incredible what you're doing. Yeah, and if we I think we mentioned like the nature versus nurture discussion before, and think about anything else we learn. You know, whether it's riding a bike or how to take a test, like um, giving youth an exposure and an experience foundationally to have this kind of grace lens is so important because they can still grow up having great respect for justice and for orderliness and for following the law and for the rules. And that's important. But that lens of grace, I don't care what you're doing. If you're serving human beings in any capacity, in any service, you need to have that lens of grace because ultimately we're humans. We're flawed. Somebody's going to get it wrong, whether they do it in childhood, whether they do it in adulthood. Um, You can change the course of someone's future, their resilience, their viability with just a little dose of grace. That's so important. So. I totally didn't go where I, I thought it was going to go, but I, but I love this. <laughs> well, and I like the conversation about, about consequence, right? Yeah. Because consequences shouldn't have to mean suffering. That's right. It That's shouldn't right. have to mean you're, you know, pain or, you know, screwed for forever. I like, like consequence and justice can mean it's a tool to help you get better. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I'm going to have to work really hard to repair yeah. both whatever it is I wronged and repair my people's perception of me that's right right? that's right like that's work to do and that's a consequence the consequence doesn't have to be whatever it doesn't have to be sent to a sent to a jail it doesn't have to be a work program right you know what i mean like all these different things yeah it's and conversation yeah it's those two are not mutually exclusive you know it's not a if or a but but it's an and and i think it's important you put the bookends what we're talking about um, is kind of those those nominal formative years in middle school and elementary and even high school where we see um, kids engaging in youth court because there is an argument and a belief that after you get to the age of reason you know you should know better and i i would agree to that you know i'm not proposing that we uh, you know, unfortunately, there are some hardened 
um, criminals who've made some really difficult choices. But I guarantee you at the root of those really egregious offenses was some trauma, was something that happened either to them, through them, something they witnessed that never was unresolved, that was never resolved, where there was no grace, there was no forgiveness, there was no therapeutic treatment or recovery or some of those things that you talked about. And it just became, it's in their DNA. And even allowing for sometimes there are just bad people. Yeah, yeah. The even, world is the world. Right. And, yeah. Even allowing for that, yeah. there would be fewer of those I think if so. we did a better job early on of catching and learning yeah. to talk about and deal with trauma. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's and why I prevention think, is important. Yeah. yeah prevention is so important. And I think, you know, one of the things that Maddie taught me that I think I've integrated into my life is she will say, you know, what is going on in that person's mm-hmm. life and why are they acting that way? Mm-hmm. And one of the things she does it to Ethan all the time when he comes home, her brother, because he'll come home and he'll be complaining about a kid and how terrible they were. And Maddie will just say, what do you think's going on mm-hmm. in their life right now? And then they start to get curious about that. Yeah. And I just think about how much better humans we all would be if we just had the ability to pause and mm-hmm. ask ourselves, mm-hmm. Like, what do you think's going on with that person right now? Like, why do you think they're acting that way? And I think it's just such a great tool that helps, you know, all of us encounter empathy for other people and understanding where they're coming from. Yeah. And how to be preaching. I'm telling you, you guys are given like the trauma-informed 101. Like, that's the baseline. Instead of the question, what is wrong with that kid or that person? You naturally go to this place of curiosity and empathy. What happened to them? I wonder what their story is. I wonder what their experience was to to lead them to this point. And when you do that, it just naturally triggers something in your mind that shifts you from judgment to wanting to understand, to support, to get involved, to um, unpack. And it's a different posture, and it takes some training. Like it's, I was not that person probably six years ago. It takes so. it takes training. It takes a willingness to yes. allow yourself to do that. Yeah. I mean, because. Judgmental is kind of cooked into us, right? <laughs> right. Like, and it, it and is. It, we are selfish people. It's yeah. easy and it's selfish, right? Because Brene can, Brown says it's fun too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's not wrong. And she's dropping Brene Brown now. Uh, I mean, uh, I might have to host I a podcast with her. I kind of study Brene I every mean. day. Meredith is now permanent guest. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just like, oh we're my just going to talk to me. You're like, you're a kid. You're like, all-time pitcher. Yeah, yeah you're all-time guest. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think I think it te- it takes some intentional effort. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to 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 want to, to allow yourself to be curious, yeah. to ask those questions beyond like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Right? To go, well, so true. What, what are the things yeah. that are happening that even led you to have to make that decision, whether, you know, whatever it was? I would agree. Right? And, and we can't by default think someone's just going to open up to us with that just because we know that language now and we've studied a little bit. No. You know, you know we, we have to establish a safe container with people and um, which is this space where you enter here, your conversation enters here. Sometimes it takes consistency and and. Com- and um, consistent exposure and relationship to establish it. But it's like nothing you say um, in this space will be held against you. You have full empathy here. I may not be able to relate. I won't even in most cases be able to connect because your experience is, is your experience and it's not mine. But at least you've got absolute trust and safety to be vulnerable and to be organic and to be open. And that that's got to be fortified over time. So even with kids and, and youth court, like, 
if if home is unstable and is unsettled and safety is not there for a lot of these kids, not saying it is, why should I come to youth court and think all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to be seen, uplifted, valued, and have empathy? So I love that Maddie is going through this experience because she is not only learning how to give a great um, lens and a different perspective on justice, but she's learning how to develop her own resilience of how to approach different types of people, create safety with them. Cause that's the first, um, that's the first and most critical foundational step to getting someone to put the shame down and say, okay, I can accept this grace. I made a mistake, but there's a, there's a different side of the coin. There's a future after this. So, but that, that all happens in safe container. So. I love that it's helping kids like throughout the whole process. Yeah. The, the the ones like Maddie that are in it and yeah. learning learning to help and advocate, but also the kids that, that just go through the system because yeah. of whatever decision they made. How can how can people, you know, if 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 people listening have somebody in, in middle school or yeah. high school, how can their kids get involved? Great question. I love it. So most of the school districts, there's both an Eastern Jackson County um, youth court, and then there's a specific independence youth court. And so your schools should be directly connected. Um, I know I can speak firsthand for the ones that feed into um, either of those two youth courts. So Blue Springs, Grain Valley, um, Raytown, Lee Summit, um, Independent School District, all of them have either social emotional supports, whether it be that counselors, school psychologists, or the um, equivalent of a social worker, a family school liaison, start there. Um, that individual is designed not to just be in the um, school and available just in case your kiddo is having a rough day. Like they are designed to be intervention for those kiddos who are showing signs and symptoms of something's wrong. Like I'm going down a slope that I, I need some help. And, and so they're trained and they know how to support not only the kiddos, but the family. So if you're a parent that's like, something's happening. My middle schooler is getting a little middle schooly. Like they've lost their <laughs> ever love in mind. Like parents have to know advocate for yourself means go find those people who will support you. And and here's the thing, give grace for the principal and the teacher as well because um, they've been asked to carry and do so much besides teach. And a lot of these work. kiddos post, right? <laughs> like their work does not look, I mean, it's work exponentially times 10. Um, so imagine post COVID, um, post kind of racial unrest, post social disruption of all types, post like you name it, our children, our families have seen so much chaos and trauma. So give them grace. But parents should go directly to those social emotional supports in their building. Um, they can also go Facebook page. Um, both of the youth courts have a page. Judge Watkins is amazing there. I'm a board member. So reach out to any one of the board members. We'll, we'll connect you and redirect you. But that, that resource starts at the school. That's where the referrals happen. That's where the supports happen. And those are most consistent. They have the most consistent consistent exposure and access to the kiddos who need the support the most. So go to the school. On the on the flip side of that, the kids who want to be involved like like yeah. Maddie is. Yeah. Are there are there certain teachers in districts or is that a go to a counselor still? I would still say, yeah, go to your support folks because even if there's a teacher involved, um, they're still the gatekeeper for access to the program, whether it be volunteerism or getting a kiddo referred to it. So um, and again I have to give, you know, five thousand shouts to Judge Watkins. I mean, she's been a judge probably well over 20, 30 years, and this is a passion of hers. She is the pioneer behind this in Missouri. She set um, just the standard for 
for how youth court is run, um, really compared to a lot of youth courts around the country. So if a volunteer or a kiddo wants to get involved in volunteering, you can reach out to her directly and she'll be responsive. So, But I would still say start with those supports in the school. Now, a lot of that I know, or at least used to it, might not be still, was funded by the combat tax in, yep. ja- in Jackson yeah. County. Are there are there... You're on the board of directors. <laughs> are, you, are you looking for other people? I mean, are you are you wanting other funds from people? How can people support listen, that? Listen, we're never going to say no to <laughs> funds. Like, listen, we're a nonprofit, and as you know, nonprofits are competing essentially with each other. I mean, there's we have such a philanthropic community throughout Kansas City, um, but there's also a limited number of resources, grants, and dollars. So, uh, yes, Combat is a longstanding supporter of the youth court, but um, you know, I would say whether it's private donors, whether it's business. It's a great cause. Um, you know, definitely follow up with the board, with Judge Watkins, and um, there's opportunity. I think the more, obviously, funds that they can raise, the more youth that they can serve, the more resources they can provide to parents. So, um, you know, and shameless plug, I, I think partnership with agencies like Cornerstones of Care, our goal and in, in interception in the youth court process is to really try to support those kids. So let's say a family as a part of the youth court process figures out the whole family needs counseling. They, the whole family needs support. We're an agency that Judge Watkins will reach out to and say, Cornerstones of Care is a great place. They can come to your home. They can meet you where you are. So, um, you know, we also benefit from those funds and supports of private companies, of private donors. So um, I would absolutely be, be willing to to direct folks who want to get involved either financially or um, be a volunteer. Yeah. And Meredith, you are doing so many amazing things in this community. Mm. And I think one of the things that really caused me to pause mm. and say, I want to bring her on the <laughs> Link to Lee Summit podcast was you actually addressed everyone at youth court graduation. Yeah. And, you know, how you ended up here, it's it's such a unique story, and I'd, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about, you know, your story and how you got to the place where you are advocating for children the way that you are. Mm, that's good. That, that, hits a, that hits a heart bone. Um, so I was sharing earlier, I was uh, born in uh, Hope, Arkansas, so from the South, and I was fortunately adopted at a very young age um, by a single woman who was from deep South Louisiana, and she was on her way up to Kansas City, Missouri, um, having just survived uh, poverty and, and uh, a lot of things at her age, um, was recruited as one of the f- uh, first, I want to say four or five engineers to work at this huge neurospace plant in Kansas City. One time was Honeywell, and I think at the time it was Bendix Allied Signal. But anyway, so she was 40 years uh, my senior and really didn't know what she was doing, but knew that uh, my parents were not in a place to care for me. So she said yes. So here I come in tow with my mom in Kansas City, was raised in um, South Kansas City, started in the public school district and the Hickman Mill School District. Um, but life kind of smacked me in the face. And I think for my mother, she did realize at the time when you say yes to a child who has had disruption to her biological life, a lot of behaviors and a lot of kind of byproduct comes from that. And so for me, it was poor behavior. I was a hot mess. I still never <laughs> believe you when you hashtag say it, but I know mess, you were. Hashtag hot mess. Oh my gosh. I can't listen. I got a picture of me in like my kindergarten picture and I stand out. I'm in the middle 
Like everybody else is all neat and bright and <laughs> predominantly little white faces. There's a couple of brown faces. I got one ponytail that's over here. There's another over here. My dress is like half. I'm like, my kindergarten picture is the picture I use when I tell people my story when I present because it's a great snapshot of what was the reality of my brain, my identity, who I was at the time. Just just trying to figure life out. So long story short, my mother leaned on a village of people to um, um, just help cultivate my life. And what happens, um, you know, no fault of anybody's own. I think we, um, I had exposure to people who we thought were safe weren't. So it wasn't just being disrupted from my household. I had a lot of trauma in my life. So I had some things that I chose out of poor decision, but there were things that happened to me that I would have never asked for things that were violating and assaultive and violence. And so by the time I got to middle and high school, I just, um, had no direction and no purpose. And I was that kiddo that many of my public school teachers were just ready to throw away. By the time I was in fifth grade, I had almost four or five diagnosis behaviorally they wanted to medicate me and my mom was like enough so she took me out she changed my school environment and I am pro public school for sure and it looks a lot different than it did you know almost 30 years ago but I found myself in the Lutheran school environment at Calvary and then at Lutheran High. What's interesting, I was one of less than five in elementary that looked like me. And by the time I got to high school, I was the only little brown girl in an all white school. And people probably hear that and like, oh, they gasp and, you know, but it, that village loved me and lifted me in a way that I probably would have never been loved and lifted had I not been there. And so I can remember my mother was an engineer. She traveled all the time. Um, there was this little white family of five brothers and sisters, a mom and dad, and they drank milk at every meal. And I just, you know, they had like this, like leave it to beaver life that I knew nothing about, but it changed me. It helped me understand that my, my beginning, my reality, it was okay. It was a part of my story, but there is the possibility of an abundant life even after this. And so those people, it's like I'm a tapestry of a bunch of different human um, experiences and perspectives. So by the time I got to college and as my grandmother would say, you know, start smelling my own grownness. I thought I was big and grown <laughs> and bad enough to do what I wanted to do. I graduated high school and um, that was a struggle. Again, all the while just kind of up and down with behavior and focus. Um, but I was a teenage pregnant mom going to Mizzou, walking the campus, <laughs> just as big as I want to be. Um, and that was a struggle. That was hard. Um, but I dropped out of college for a while. And at the time, you know, there were no nonprofits that I could in my proximity that would help me understand how I could take steps being a single mom to pursue education. Like there was just they were probably there, but there was no CSL that I knew of. There was nothing accessible that my mother knew of. And so I spent the first, you know, Oh, gosh, 10, 15 years of my twins life. And, and this is, you know, my 20s and 30s where I'm just trying to, to figure it out and bumping my head along the way. Lots of loss, bad marriage, abuse in there. So just a whole hot heaping series of years of just brokenness. And, you know, people say, well, what is it? What was this thing? Something happened for me. It was faith. It, um, I found myself in a church and with a village um, who just loved me and lifted me back to life, gave me some hope, um, helped me understand that even though I had chosen a lot of these things and a lot of life had happened to me, God had not, he had not forgotten about me and that my life was still good and it still had great purpose. And that changed kind of everything I thought about myself and where I could go. 
So fast forward to today, um, I just had this courage and boldness that I think came from my mom. I was always applying for jobs that were just a little bit out of my skill (laughs) set. But I think about the people like former city administrator Eric Johnson and Todd Pelham in Blue Springs, um, Mayor Ross that I worked for, one of my first professional jobs in Blue Springs. Like, I know they knew when they hired me, this girl's a hot mess. But every one of them saw something, like there's something here. And it's almost like, I, I think I was so... Uh, brazen and transparent about my story, about the choices I made, but the trauma that I had lived through because I wanted people to know that I was going somewhere, that that life had happened to me, but life was not done with me and I was not done with life. Um, So by the time I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I had applied for a job at Homeland Security. So imagine young black woman, (laughs) not any of me in in this particular position and field. And I got the job. And I just, I think I was like, oh my gosh, do they know who I am for real? (laughs) I said that for like the next five jobs after that too. Like, do they, did they look up my back? (laughs) Did they look at my LinkedIn page? (laughs) I did an examiner's story like 20 years ago to the same effect. And it was, it was unfolding kind of the, the missteps of my life. But at the end of that story, I remember Jeff Martin writing a line that like, um, you know, going back to her foundation and hope, that's where all life stories really should start anyway. So it's like from the place from which I was even born to the many kind of ebbs and flows of my life, I can see that even the setbacks were set ups for where I am today. So by the time I got to Homeland Security, like I said, it was late 20s, early 30s. My largest responsibility ever, I was deployed in New York to Hurricane Sandy, and I had 48 hours to get 1,300 community relations people out on the street. And, you know, I just fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Always good advice. It's the best advice advice. for anybody. Listen. You know, and I could go on and on, but I think that the big themes there were like I had people who didn't give up on me. Um, I had a a faith cord that was so strong that I knew that there was a power and a strength and a faith in me that was greater than anything that I was ever going to see because it had proven that in my life when there was abuse, when there was hardship, when there was trauma, I had survived. I didn't do that on my own. I, I give that strength and credit not only to my village, but to a God who loved me and protected me and kept me. Um, and I I know that we as humans are allowed to survive certain things because it's our stories that will end up being the safe container, the safety, the motivation for others who follow behind. So I knew there were going to be some who look like me, who didn't look like me, who would need to hear my life story. So they too know you're never so far gone. Your life is never so far broken that you cannot restore. You can't have resilience. You can't thrive. And so that led me here to today. Um, found myself in the independent school district, then at Community Services League. And the, the nice thing about when you're courageous enough to say yes, um, squash down shame, accept the goodness and greatness that you were designed and created to be, you just get elevated. There's a stage that is created for you. And all you have to do is in faith say, okay, I can do it. You want me to go here? Here I go. And that just became my walking order. So the last five jobs I didn't apply for. Um, someone called me. Someone said, what about Meredith? And so that that's the blessing part of my story is the the teachers and the people who wouldn't have chosen me. The the, the start of my life where um, I was the kiddo who no one wanted. Um, it's a, it, it, an entirely different reality today. And it's not by anything that I did. Um, I think it's just because of the courage, the resilience um, and the recovery that's happened in my life that has allowed me to, to land here. So that's some perseverance there. Oh yeah. 
I had to. You can't totally say it. Nothing you did. You, yeah, you're you're speaking. I think humility as a leader is important, though. Um, and you, because I let me tell you this, Nick. Like those nights where I'd be in my closet and praying, God, please don't let this man beat me. You know, until I cannot breathe anymore, uh, which was my daily reality for a long time. You know, if it weren't for this kind of personal resilience and grit that. Even though I'm a hot mess, I still got to put my makeup on and go to this job that I know I'm unqualified for. Like my kids were there. They were watching. So you're right. Every every setback and every story and every challenge that we have, we do develop some personal resilience. We're not robots. God gives us free will. He gives us choice. He also gives us great strength and power. But we have to do the work, too. We have to show up. And you're right. So if I didn't show up and if I had just cowered and said, you know what? Life has happened to me. I'm going to go cry myself in a hole. I'd probably still be in that hole. What a story. You have such a story. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about what do you think that (laughs) story looks like in the next two to three years? That's good. So, you know, I, I'd love to um, write a book when I was at the top kind of pinnacle part of my career in Homeland Security. And I think I was dropping the weight of a lot of broken Um, I wrote a book called God who question mark from superhero. Um, And it talked about the earlier parts of my life, um, just feeling like I had been forgotten. I feel like now I need to tell the other half of that story, which is this abundance in life that I know. I know people would finish reading that book and and probably on the edge of their seats, what happened? Like what happened to her life? What happened to her outcome? Um, I'd love to write a book about just courageously leaning into the unknown, even when it is scary as hell. Like that's, that's what I'd like to do is, is articulate my story and the goodness that's been the last probably 10 years of my life. Um, I think in my home community and independence, um, there's a gentle, beautifully courageous disruption that is happening that has been overdue. There's a lot of things in the soil. And I look at my neighbors here in Lee Summit and a lot of courageous people have stepped up to create longer tables and lower fences and I want to do that in independence. So I think besides leading really well at Cornerstones of Care, um, I'm trying to listen to that still small voice and say, is it time to get into um, elected office or elected capacity, whatever that looks like. Um, I'm very intentional now about my decisions and my capacity because self-care is important, but I also want to be very responsible in leadership. I I don't need my resume to be long. Listen, my name is already written in the book of life. I, if I don't do anything else, I'm okay. But um, if if I want to leave an impact on this world and share my story in a way that helps affect change at the policy level, at the systems level, I think I'm going to have to lead um, in a greater capacity. So trying to answer that question. I, I love that. You know, one of my favorite things is you know, decisions are made by those who show up. So yeah. Your willingness to show up. Show up. It's awesome. You also... If I could sum up all of this uh, today, it's community. Yeah. I mean, you know, however yeah. you define that, whether that's, that's right. whether that's your, you know, the city you live in and the people around you, your neighborhood, your church, your yeah. school community, all of these matter. It does. All of these matter and, and shape at different points in your life, shape yeah. who, who you grow to be. And, and we'll call back again to your earlier word, and. Right? And, yeah. and. Like, and what's next? Yeah. If I'm going to get, I have one tattoo that's a butterfly that was kind of a pinnacle of my survival of some really heavy things. But if I get another one, it would be the ampersand or be the and sign. Um, We were not made to live in isolation. And the more we do that and, and set up our, you know, 
posts and our, our fences and it just we get further and further away from the synergy, the healing and the growth that was designed to happen between us as human beings from all different walks of life and religions and cultures and identities and orientations and uh, you can only do that in community. And you're right. It, it's gosh, it looks different. Like you could you could stand up a community tomorrow and it doesn't always have to be because it's an affinity and we have something in common. We could see the world very differently, but we breathe the same air. We bleed the same. Our children go through some very similar things. But here's the thing. Some of our kids have access opportunities, platforms that could benefit other children. Like mm-hmm. if you think about um, early colonialism and the forming of communities and what they were actually designed to do for function, you bring, I benefit, I give, you benefit, you bleed, I heal, you cry, I grieve. And we, we've gotten away from that. Like we need people. Human connection is vital for our survival. Well, we, we certainly learned that over the last three or four years, right? We I mean, yes, absolutely. COVID taught us that. I, I, I like, mean, you know, know, look, the dark times were not good. No, no. <laughs> I mean, even for us introverts like Meredith and I who like to stay in the house, like I love my pajamas good. and mm-hmm. my bed. But I'll tell you, like we need community. I even us super introverted people, yeah. we need other people. Well, And I think, too, like here's the thing we learned from that. You like to call yourself an introvert. <laughs> I sometimes I call am. myself an introvert. But you know what we've learned? Mm-hmm. Most of us are a little of both. Yeah. And it's Touché. okay and it's good. Yeah. I mean, I love staying home too. But you know what? I do more. I do more good. Yeah. I do more for myself when I can get out With into places. Yeah. And, and people, you need that. And, and community can change. Community can be different. Yeah. You know, for me, when I was younger, the church community I was in was awesome. It yeah. would not be great for me right now yeah. where yeah. I'm at in my life. They're evolutionary. It, it was great there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Things change, and yeah. that's that's okay. Yeah, yeah. What I learned, too, about community, you know, I'm truly, a, I'm a diehard INFJ for sure, um, but I didn't really understand the value of external connection until I was fully healed. Because for me, isolation was protection and it was my safety. And I'm like, I'm good. I don't need you. I don't like you. I'll go serve for you. I'll advocate for you, but I'm going to just stay right here. You know? So, you know, it's so funny because I like go lead worship on Sunday and then but I'm in the house for the next six hours. I'm like, where's Meredith? How come she doesn't come out? No, I'm not doing any of that. Um, But as I became, you know, more aware that like, you know what? Life doesn't stop because bad things happen. And actually, I can have some healing connections and conversations coming out of my shell. Um, yeah. So it give folks grace who are introverts, because some may truly organically be introverts. Some may be trying to work through this journey of healing, that to know it's okay to come out and be with people. Yeah, I think that's great. Let's yeah. talk about the bookends of this conversation, because I pretty much love it. So community. <laughs> <laughs> we all need community. Yeah. In some form or fashion, we're designed as humans for connection. And I think the other thing that is the key theme is that no matter what chapter of your life you're in, no matter how broken you are, Mm -hmm. that this, your life can still be a breakthrough. Like you can make that breakthrough, right? It's, this is one chapter in the book, but it's not the whole book and your pain can turn into purpose, you know? So just keep going. So good. 
So. Well, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah. Actually, it's just it's going to be a repeat question. Okay. If people want to get involved, yeah. if they want to be a part of, of, since we talk so much about the Youth Corp stuff, yeah. if they want to get involved in that, whether they want to write you a check, <laughs> their kids want to get involved yeah. Yeah. from the advocacy side, or their kids want to get involved because they... You know what? There's some help and there's resources available. How can people connect with that? Yeah. So I'm going to direct people directly to me. So email me at meredith.rose at cornerstonesofcare.org. Um, I don't know if we can splash that somewhere. We can put that in some show notes. Because you know Meredith, it's spelled weird, you know. I it just, is. It <laughs> is. No, no slight on my mama. She, quick little off-ramp story. I was like, Mom, why is this my name spelled M-E-R-I-D-E-T-H? She's like, I thought that was the traditional spelling. I'm like, to who? Like, so she, <laughs> the traditional, she, I don't know. We could spend 30 minutes on that. But I think the reason why I say send that to me is because as a board member, if folks truly want to get to connected to Youth Court, I can plug them in directly to Judge Watkins, whether it be volunteerism in donation, um, if they want to learn more about Cornerstones of Care and some of the therapeutic supports that we provide, some of that wraparound in addition to Youth Court, I can connect them there. And again, there's always an opportunity. It's getting warm again. Like there's, it's a great time to come out, um, get involved, whether you want to mentor a kiddo, read to them, um, you know, come do some, some yard work or support Youth Court with a fundraiser. They do some things around the spring and summertime, as do we at Cornerstone. So um, just reach out to me via email and uh, I'll get you plugged in. But we, the more hands, the better. Everyone lifts, everyone leads, everyone helps to um, create a, a new beautiful reality for a lot of our most vulnerable kids. And it takes everyone. So, well, awesome, Meredith. Thank you so much for coming on the show, you sharing guys. your story, absolutely, and, and talking about community. That's that really hits everything we we I try to it. do here. Yeah, that will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time. Mm-hmm.